Hi, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj. And on this podcast, we're going to talk about some deep stuff. I'm here to tell you that you're amazing. And often, the only person who can't see that is you. No matter who you are, what you do, or where you're from, there's greatness in you. Let's talk about it. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj, and welcome to the Transformation Starts Today podcast, where I interview leaders, champions, and high performers from all walks of life as they share their story, the lessons they've learned along the way, and empowering perspectives to help you create an extraordinary life without regret starting today. Today we have with us a truly inspiring man who built his life back better, Mr. Langston Pates. Langston Pates is from Central Illinois. He has served time in the United States Penitentiary for drug trafficking. He has battled substance abuse the majority of his adult life, and his choices caused him to have his children taken away by social services. Today, Langston owns and operates a six-figure-a-year moving company, as well as $1 million in real estate, and has rebuilt his relationship with his kids. Langston has taken his destiny back into his own hands. Langston, it's an honor to have you with us, brother. Welcome to the show. It's an honor to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, your energy is so great for people who are seeing you on video. Probably they can hear it in your in the audio also. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Uh, I wake up like this every day. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And so we'd love to dive in. For my listeners who don't know you yet, they haven't heard your story. Can you please share with us who you are, what led you to where you are today, some of the lessons that you learned and what inspired you to do what you do now? Yeah. Um, you know, like, like you said, you know, in my bio there, um, I have, uh, I'm formerly incarcerated. Um, I did do some time in a United States penitentiary. Um, I've been to state prison twice. Um, I've been to like eight County jails, uh, some substance abuse treatment facilities. Um, I do, uh, I do come from a, a single, single parent, family. So I was raised in a single parent environment. Uh, my father did uh, was sentenced to 40 years to life uh, in a maximum security prison in Illinois. And so I, uh, I grew up uh, as a kid uh, going to see my father in prison. And uh, I grew up as a black man in America, uh, raised by a white woman, which if that's not an obstacle to overcome in itself, you know, I, I don't know what is. Um, so I, I just I grew up in in, a, in an environment uh, as a child um, in some pretty pretty uncomfortable situations uh, and pretty abnormal situations, and uh, it, it led me down a path to uh, kind of make decisions on my own as a man. I, I didn't really have that positive male role figure in my life uh, to to guide me, you know, to show me how to throw a baseball or throw a punch, you know, or ride a bicycle, how to shave, uh, those kind of things. I grew up in a household uh, as, a, as a small child um, with my mother and my sister. So I kind of I kind of had to be the, the, the man in the household, you know, at a young age. Mm. And uh, it, it led me to seek guidance, you know, just outside of the home. Um, and I was introduced to to things that uh, that weren't as healthy you know, as they probably should. My my father was a very smart man. Uh, he was valid Victorian of his high school. Uh, he was he was summa cum laude of ISU, Illinois State University. Um, but I saw a smart man behind bars, and 
my mother worked very hard to support the three of us at home and and him in prison and and so I and she didn't we didn't have a lot so I, I saw uh, you know a hardworking woman who just couldn't really make ends meet and so it kind of it kind of led me to seek other other means to um, build my life outside of education and and hard work which led me to make some pretty bad decisions in my life and uh, and landed me in prison. Um, from there, um, it kind of just reached a point where I was just doing the same thing over and over and over. And, uh, I believe they, they do call that insanity, you know, and you're <laughs> expecting a, a different result, but you're just, you keep making the same bad decisions. And, uh, it was my last, my last stint in prison that I, you know, I, I just, I decided that this was it. You know, this was it. Um, my mother has stuck by me uh, through it all. She's been in every courtroom, every substance abuse treatment. She's come to see me. She's, you know, gone to bat for me. She's been there. And I, I decided that she wasn't going to stop coming to those places if I didn't stop coming to those places. And I had realized that I had become the exact man that I told myself I wasn't going to be like my father. And uh, it was there that I made a decision that I was going to go back out into the world and I was going to use my gift um, instead of, um, you know, taking away value from the world. I was going to use it to, to add value to the world. And um, ever since that day I walked out, I've, I've stayed true to that. And uh, the things that have happened in my life um, since I made that decision have just been tremendous, man. And I, I legitimately have like tingles all over my body right now. I uh, I love your story and something that's really landing for me that I think is so important for our audience. And I'd love if you can expand on it. The power yeah. of that realization, this is it. And then making a decision. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I was actually, um, I was in segregation in prison. So I had, I was in prison and when you go to seg, um, that's it's kind of like you get in trouble in prison. And so <laughs> so I was like kind of like in jail, in jail. I was like under the jail. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You don't have the same privileges. You don't have contact with your family. Um, you're in a room the size of a bathroom. Uh, you don't control the lights. You don't control the television. Um, you have no telephone. Your only communication with the world is to write a letter and send it out and um, and then hope to receive something back to gain any information of what's going on outside of that box. And what happened was my, my mother actually had uh, a heart attack and um, I didn't know what was going on with her. I, I couldn't contact her. And every day I would just kind of sit there and I would, kind of watch the door and wait for a letter to come underneath the door. And I didn't know what it was going to say. I, I, I would prepare myself for the, for the worst. I would hope for the best. Um, I had a Bible and I had a letter from my mother and I would read them both uh, over and over and over. And it was, it was in that, it was in that room um, with God in my presence and with this, the, the words of my mother in my presence that um, that I made that decision. And it was in that Bible that, um, you know, I heard great stories of, of men like 
like Joseph. You know, I I tell this a lot because I I was never um, really introduced to um, God like I probably should have as a as a as a small child. And a lot of that was because my mother worked so much. She worked on Sundays. You know, she worked every day of the week if she could to support us. And my mother grew up in a Catholic school. You know, she grew up in a Catholic school. She went to Catholic school her whole life. So God was a huge part of her upbringing. Um, but I believe in in supporting us, it just it didn't become part of our upbringing. And um, those great stories that I read, they were so much like myself, man. Like I'm like I'm like, how do they know all these things about me? You know, and and it was there that I I heard these stories about Joseph and and how he went from being a, a slave and a prisoner. And, a, and a, to a king. And and I really had to dig deep because everybody everybody kind of references that story of Joseph, you know, and that awakening when they're when they're in prison. And um, it's kind of cliche, you know, that people go to prison and find God. Um, but it's not a coincidence. Um, sometimes we have to be stripped of everything. Um, and God kind of sits us down and he puts us in this room where we have nothing else to stimulate our mind, um, but his words. And, um, it was there that I found, um, that it wasn't, Joseph didn't do it by himself, man. It was the servant, you know, the servant told the Pharaoh what Joseph could do for him. And the servant was in a position to know what the Pharaoh needed. Um, and so, it, it opened my eyes that I can add value to the world with my gift of service, with serving other people. Um, I always thought that I had to, you know, have some great accolades in my life. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm a furniture mover, man. How am I going to go out into this world and, and add value, um, you know, as a manual labor worker? And um, but I realized that it's possible that through service, I could position myself uh, in this world to be able to add value and, and to know what certain people need and, and to, you know, to use my gift. Um, I was, I was, you, you said it in my bio, I was sentenced, uh, uh, convicted and sentenced for manufacturing and delivery of marijuana. And manufacturing is the preparation of goods by hand. And upon completion, they can be sold to a customer. And then delivery is is just what it sounds like. You then get it from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And um, so the same things that got me in prison um, are the exact same things I use now to, you know, to add value to the world. The, the government, the United States government put me in prison for manufacturing and delivery. And now through my moving company, right, um, they now pay me to manufacture and deliver. <laughs> I still prepare goods. By hand and upon completion, they can be sold to a customer. And then I, I get them from point A to point B. I just had to realize that my gift was the thing that I did the absolute best with the least amount of effort. Yeah, man. There's so many wonderful points to comment on. I love that last part too. It's like the redirection of, hey, or the reframing rather. Here is a skill set that I have, and I'm using, I'm channeling it, I'm using it in such a way that maybe is creating some results for me that I don't want. But I can take that same gift, that same skill set, and shift it into a way that, like you said, brings value to the world and serves people. And now, like you said, it comes effortlessly. You're good at it. 
but it creates amazing results in your life, which is fantastic. And, you know, I hope that people who are listening can take to heart. So often we feel like we need to experience the challenge for ourselves in order to learn and internalize the lesson. And sometimes that is the case, but it's so valuable when you can hear somebody else's story and what they've been through. And when they share with you, Hey, I was doing some stuff that in hindsight, maybe I wouldn't have done differently or I wouldn't have done again rather. And yes, what we've done has brought us to where we're at and it's helped us kind of carve into our character and you are who you are because of your experiences. And at the same time, I know in my own life, at least when I share with people the experiences I had early in my life and taking care of my father during his brain aneurysm and taking feeling like I took him for granted and all these different things that made me feel so much regret in my life. I don't want someone else to have to experience like, you know, either losing a parent or taking care of a parent in that way to have that insight. Get it from my story so you don't have to deal with that and you can love fully now. And in that same way, I hope people can hear Langston's story. And if you're noticing right now that you're going down a path that may not lead you to where you want to be and you've got a skill set, but maybe you're focusing on yourself instead of the world, the value that you could bring to others, making a shift. And when you get to that point of, I decided, you know, the time is now. There's these crucial pivot points in our life that when you finally realize enough is enough, you know, maybe like you you talked about your mom, your mom sounds like an incredible woman. And when we come from this space of how are my actions impacting other people that I care about in a maybe negative way? And also how are my actions preventing me from experiencing the life that I'd love to be living? So for example, in your story, when you were, I forgot how you worded it, but basically like the jail within the, within the jail, when you are in that space, yeah. so I'm in this small room and the only contact I have is the letter. And you said, mom had a heart attack and you didn't know how she was doing. And obviously you would have liked to No, And so from that space, it's like, well, what am I doing now that could potentially lead me into some situation that I really don't want to be in? And how can I shift right now? You know, some people are listening and hearing your experience and your journey and the conversation we're going to continue to have going forward, it's going to shift the trajectory of their life and they won't go down a path that would lead them into a space that they really don't want to be in. Yeah. I always, I tell my guys that, that, um, my employees, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, that I, I don't just teach them, you know, how to be good furniture movers. I try to, you know, just show them how to be good people and how to treat people. And it, and recognize within themselves, um, you know, their gifts as well. There's another young man that started working for me and he, um, he's now created his own business, you know, and he's a great employee. I'm like this close to losing him, man, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, ah, what did I do? You know, I, I showed him, I showed him my, my tricks and now, but that makes me feel good to know that not only was I able to make these changes in my life, and, and change the trajectory and the narrative of my life. But I was able to show another young man how to do it for himself, yeah. you know, and, and that to me, um, it just, it resonated. There was a point in time where I was, I was in a, I was in a United States penitentiary in downtown Chicago, Illinois, and you're, it's a skyscraper and you can look out the window on the 21st floor. And I could see, you know, the, the towers and the highway, I could see the, the you know, the, the Chicago river. And I would kind of look out over 
um, that highway and I would watch the cars and the trucks going down the highway. And I would kind of envision myself being in one of those cars or, or even more importantly, in one of those trucks, you know, heading somewhere with with a purpose. And there was another guy, another inmate, me and him would sit around and we'd talk about a moving company. And he even asked me one time if he could come work for me, you know, and we were just two inmates. We, you know, we, we, we were just kind of dreaming. And um, one of my, one of my favorite stories to tell people is fast forward. Um, I was sitting on that highway in my moving truck with that guy in the passenger seat next to me. And we had just got done moving the, the, the deputy chief juvenile probation officer of Cook County in Chicago into his new home. And we're sitting at a red light on that exact same highway that I used to look out that window at those trucks. And I looked in the rear view and I could see the prison in the, in the rear view mirror. And I mean, it, it just resonated through my whole body. And I said, hey, man, I said, look in the rear view. I said, I said, we did it, man. You know, I, I said, we can see the prison in our rear view mirror. And then he said, he said, Langston, what if there's a guy up there on that 21st floor looking out that window, looking at this truck right now, wishing that he had a purpose, too? And it was from that point on, I said, you know, not only am I going to continue to do these things, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to share them and I'm going to try to pull as many guys out there like myself um, up and take them with me, you know? So there's, there's some characteristics that I didn't realize that I had um, in the illegal things that I was doing that are the same characteristics that it takes to be a business owner or, or an entrepreneur. You know, I was, I was, I was selling a product or a service. I was delivering that product or that service. And, and then I was enrolling other people to help me with one and two. And I believe when you can do all three of those, you know, you're, you're either ready to go to federal prison or you're ready to become a business owner or an entrepreneur. Oh, I love that story. Uh, the way that played out is so beautiful. And it reminds me of two things. There's a Napoleon Hill quote, the guy who wrote Thinking Grow Rich. And he says, everything's created twice, first in the mind, and then in reality. And you know, what yeah. you did when you were in prison and you were looking out, you were creating it in your mind and then you made it happen. And so for everyone who's in what they might call a dark space, whatever that is, physically, metaphorically, you're in a dark spot in your life, knowing that there is light to come and that this will change. And what the actions that you take right now, how you decide to be, who you, how you decide to treat people, speak to yourself, things of that nature, will generate that future and that there is hope. And then the second part is you spoke to this guy that's an employee of yours, but you helped him start his own business. And now it's like, if you feel like he's this close to like going, that speaks volumes about you in a beautiful way, because there's an expression, the best leaders create more leaders. They don't create more followers. The best leaders, they empower their people. They inspire their people to stand up on their own. And so just really, really good on you. And so I just wanted to- yeah. Ask- what you just said uh, was something that I always thought that there were there were only two types of people in the world, followers and leaders. I always thought there were two categories and I always like to put myself in the leader category. But then I realized that I was I was leading a lot of followers and followers are going to follow. They're going to follow whoever you put in front of them um, because that's what they, they they're followers. And so. 
what I realized was there has to be the leaders of the leaders. And, and, and that's when it dawned on me that I fit in that category, that I can lead the people that lead the followers. And it opened my eyes to a, to a whole nother category that I didn't know existed for a long time. And, and once I realized that my, my life changed uh, tremendously. I really like that as a distinction, like the three, kind of the three levels there. Thank you for yeah. sharing. That's wonderful. And I hope that everyone who's listening can internalize that the way you did. Now, question for you. I believe how we define ourselves influences everything that we do. Can you speak to the power of redefining oneself and how our listeners can begin to do that? Yeah. Um, when I started to kind of redefine myself, it, it really started with my self-worth. Um, I had to understand that um, everything that I had been through in my life, um, as tragic as some of these things are, you know, growing up in a single parent home with a father in prison, um, you know, uh, some of the mental health uh, stuff that I go through, anxiety and and depression and 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 battling some of that and substance abuse and losing my children to social services that was was huge and and I my self worth was just at an all time low. I didn't feel um, worthy just to to stand in front of anyone, um, even myself. It, you know, it it's it was even hard to look at myself in the mirror. You know. And and so I had to understand that I believe I went through all of that uh, for a reason. And somebody asked me one time, if you could go back and you could change any of that, anything in your life, if you could change something, if you could take take one thing that happened or two things that happened and you could you could change that. Maybe you didn't lose your kids. Maybe you didn't go to prison that second time or maybe you didn't get addicted to substances. Would you change anything? And I knew what I wanted to say, but I was it took me about two or three days to really, you know, kind of solidify an answer. And I came to the conclusion that I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Everything that I went through um, it, it made me who I am today. Um, it, 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 that having to never, you know, giving up and, and not, you know, continuing the fight and, and just digging my way, you know, back up to ground zero. Like sometimes we're at ground zero, but then sometimes we're under the jail. Like we got to get back just to the regular jail to get out of the jail. And that's, that's what I had to do. And so if my self-worth, is where I started with redefining myself was just um, knowing that I deserved to stand in front of other people, to stand in front of myself and to believe in myself is where, you know, redefining myself began. Mm. Yeah. I think the, the idea of the self-worth especially like looking yourself in the mirror, being able to see yourself and know that you're worthy. And I think that's one of, in the work that I've done with people, like emotional release work and things of that nature, feeling unworthy is one of the primary challenges that so many of us deal with. And so were there any practices yeah. you engaged in that helped in that, like getting back your self-worth, whether it be like certain reading, yeah. meditation, um, prayer, journaling, something like that? 
Absolutely. All of those. Uh, journaling was was really huge for me. Um, just kind of like self-affirmation. Uh, I, I looked across the board at all the things that were negative that happened to me. And, you know, I started to understand that I can I can use them as tools. Um, I didn't go through these things. I went through these things. I believe, I believe I was put on this earth to move people. And I believe I got the message and I started putting their furniture on a truck and driving it across town, you know? And <laughs> I, I believe that I kind of, I reached a certain point where I believe I missed, I missed my mark. You know, I believe I went through all of those things so that I can go back. I, I know what that guy felt like the first time he stepped foot on that prison yard. I know what that drug addict felt when he was doing that to himself, why he was doing that to himself. I know what that, that father felt like to be in that place and his children to come see him and, and they leave and, and, and you can't go with them. I know what the child felt like to go see his father in those places. And, and when it's time to leave, you know, he can't go with you. Um, so it, it, it opened my eyes to, this is what you were put here for. You know, I had to believe that we're all here for a reason, right? We're all here for a purpose. And I believe that, you know, God chooses his strongest soldiers for these battles. And he put me through all of that because he knew that I could overcome these things. And when I did and I got on that stage, I was going to tell them that he was the one that helped me get there. And I believe that um, the only way that I keep winning in my life is to make sure that anytime I'm in front of people and I'm telling them about all these great things that I'm doing now, you know, the six figures a year with the moving company and the million dollars worth of real estate and the, and, and the, you know, getting my children back into my life that I, I didn't do them by myself. Yeah. I had help, you know, and, and it was through him. And every time that I used my gift to give back something great happens in my life you know and so it could be something as simple as you know a a, a wealthy person gives away a, a a couch that they don't want you know they they tell me to go take it to the the thrift store and donate it you know i go find a family that doesn't have a couch and and i pay my guys to deliver it to their house and and put it in their living room and and to see the smiles on their kids' faces and the way that one piece of furniture can make a home feel like a home. Yeah. And then I'll turn around two days later and I'll get a phone call about a, a five-bedroom house in, in Hawthorne Hills that's worth $2 million and they want to pay me thousands of dollars to move them across town. And it just seems like every time I do something like that with my gift, um, then I'm given the things that I need to continue that mission. You have a quality to you, brother, that I uh, I can't help but smile when you speak. It's wonderful. I uh, I love what you're sharing. You said I feel like my I was put on this planet to move people, and I absolutely believe you are doing that with every word. And so, thank you for sharing that. And I hope that people can see in their own life something you've done so brilliantly that I think is one of the most powerful things that we can do is when you're in the present moment. And you look at your history, you look at your past. How do you weave that tale? How do you weave that narrative? Is it something that happened to you that you're a prisoner of? Is it a liability? Or have you turned it into your greatest asset 
Have you turned it into this is what helped me become who I am today and all the people that you're able to help and all the lives you're able to touch and all the like the minds and emotions you're able to uplift. It's because of the experiences that you've had and it's because of how they've grown you and shaped you and the lessons you've learned. And like you said, not wanting to change a thing. Like, of course, there's things that we go in hindsight. Yeah, well, it would have been nice if that didn't, didn't happen. But then we realize if it didn't happen, I wouldn't have learned that lesson. This wouldn't have happened. And then these people that I'm helping, I wouldn't have been able to help them. And so just the, the moment, I think I heard this from Tony Robbins when I was 15 or 16. He said something like, the moment the worst day of your life becomes the best day of your life, the game changes instantly. And the idea in a different way of saying it is the moment you can look at your past and see it as a gift, as hard as it was for your present that you can take to then give to the world, it changes your whole experience. And so thank you so much for just showing up the way that you do. Thank you. Yeah, man. And so given we talked about, I mentioned asset liability, and you had mentioned to me privately that talking about like financial mindsets is something that you know is really important. Can you share how you define a poor and a middle-class mindset as well as what would be more empowering perspectives that people can take that you've discovered? Yes, um, I I do believe that, you know, take away the prison, take away, uh, you know, drug addiction, take away, you know, all these other things. Um, at one point in my life, I was just a, a regular, uh, what I call poor and middle class, you know, American that, you know, was a hard worker and didn't really know what was next for myself. And I was always chasing money because I grew up without it. You know, I grew up without all the things that the other kids in my life and at school had. I didn't have designer clothes and cool shoes. And I got a, a lot of hand-me-down stuff. And it was embarrassing to pull up to school or, or to a friend's house in the car that my mom drove. And sometimes she'd go to drive off and it, it, the car would die, you know, and, and it, 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 those things. And so I was always just chasing financial gain money, you know, and it was, it was when I realized that I had to, um, not worry about money. I had to worry about solving a problem. Uh, you know, I heard somebody say one time about, you know, you don't buy a car for a reason to buy gas. You know, that's not why we go buy a car. Cause like, I need a reason to get gas, right? <laughs> I buy a car so I can get in it as a vehicle and I can go somewhere. Right. And so a lot of us get up and we leave our house every day and we go to work and, we, or we start a business for the sole purpose of making money and they print it every day. It's the low hanging fruit. I've come to find that it's like the easiest thing, you know, on this list and on this road to success, like the money actually became the easiest thing that just comes naturally when you're solving problems. Um, I say that, you know, the process now is what drives me every day. The process is what allows me to wake up every day at the same time without an alarm clock. I haven't used an alarm clock in five years. My body wakes up when the sun gets up because I'm ready to get to my life, you know? And so the, the, the poor and middle-class mindset was very important to me that I, I realized it's hard for us to understand what our life would look like if money wasn't the objective. What would I do with my day, right? If I got to wake up 
and just go out into the world and do whatever I wanted to do. It didn't matter how much did it cost or how am I going to pay that bill or, or anything like that. Money didn't matter. What would I do with my time if my time truly belonged to me? And I think that people that live in the, the poor and, and middle class um, section of the world, they don't, they don't have time to think like that. They don't they we can't even fathom what that would what that would be like because it's just not the narrative. It does cost. It does. You know, I can't go on that vacation. Uh, people go on vacation all the time and I don't understand how they do it when they know when they get back. There's like, you know, bills and all this stuff and they might have spent money over here that they 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 shouldn't have. And, I you know, so. I had to stop for a minute and say, Langston, what would your life look like? What would your day look like if it truly belonged to you? What would you go out into this world and do every day? And it was when I was able to recognize that, that I was able to change my mindset of how I walked out of my door every day and how I approached this world. Um, passive income, credit, stuff like that. Those weren't things that my my parents were able to tell me about. There's just certain things that poor and middle class people um, are afraid of and debt, taxes, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, my, my grandma always told me, oh, don't, don't get a credit card. That credit card will get you in trouble. Well, no, my credit card does just fine in my wallet and my back pocket. I have to take it out and misuse it to get myself in trouble. Um, children were told to leave the room when finances were being discussed, you know, uh, you're told to stay in a child's place, you know, and, and, but wealthy people talk about money in front of their kids, you know? So, um, there were just, uh, it's, it's been awesome learning the things that I'm learning about passive income, um, putting your money to work for you, um, understanding, uh, financial freedom and, and what your life would really look like if it truly belonged to you. What a great answer. Yeah, really, really great. I have here something that you said that I think is so important and it, it applies to money, but it applies to everything. There's cause and effect. And very often we focus on the effect, meaning what we want. And so the idea is we want more money. So we're focusing on the effect of money, but that isn't what creates money. What creates money is the cause, which is the value that you're going to offer. And if you put all your focus on how can I serve? How can I contribute? How can I powerfully make a meaningful difference for people and then charge for it? The money shows up, but so many people are missing the cause because they're just focusing on the end goal, not what I need to do to get there. And so checking in with yourself and everyone asking, where am I doing that in my own life? And it could be in your relationship. You see the relationship that you want with your partner, but are you being the kind of partner and doing the kind of things that would lead to that? You look at the house you want to live in, the car you want to drive. Well, what actions are you taking and how are you positioning yourself and what value are you providing that's going to make that a reality? If you're not focusing on what you can be doing and falling in love with the process, like Langston said, then it doesn't happen. It just stays as a dream. And then the yeah. fact, oh, any comment on that? Um, no, I, I completely agree with you. And that doubles back to the self-worth because yeah. it's hard to see yourself in that house, driving that car, you know, uh, with that degree, if you don't feel like you deserve it, you yeah. know, if you don't feel like you, you, you belong there, 
And so that that's why I always go back to the self-worth because it was it was it was stopping me from even being able to dream as big as I should be able to because I didn't I didn't see myself on that stage. Mm. Is there a message that you have for people who in the as they're listening, their self-worth is re- is relatively low. They're not in a position where they are seeing themselves as capable of having and deserving the life that they want. Is there a message that you could speak to their hearts? Um, I think everybody's motivation comes from, you know, it's all different. You know, we're all motivated by, by different things. And I think that we have to realize that the day that we were born, is about the most important day of our life, right? And the second most important day of our life is the day that we found out why. And those are the two most important days of my life, was the day I was born and the day I figured out why I'm here. And if people can just really dig deep into their why, um, what is it? They want out of life. Why are why do they feel that they're on this earth? What motivates them um, to, you know, strive to do better? Um, I think that's important because some people are just showing up every day. Some people just they want to be there on Friday for the party. They want to be there after all the work is done, you know, um, but they don't really want to be there on Monday morning. And when I found out about Monday morning, when Monday morning became my favorite day of the week, <laughs> mm. I, man, a lot of things started to change in my life. So I would just say for people, you know, really dig deep and and, and find out, you know, what it is you want out of life. And, and then when you do find out, spend every waking moment going after it. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. You've talked about, you alluded to it a little bit, uh, passive income when we yeah. and how important that is. So are there any mindsets or perspectives that set people off on the wrong foot when they're looking to create passive income? And is there what you have found to be like a better way of doing it and a better way of thinking about it? Yeah. And, and that goes back to the, the, the poor and middle class mindset, um, producers, right. And consumers and poor and middle class people are consumers. Um, we go to work, we earn money, um, and then we give it all to everybody else. You know, the landlord, the, 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 the gas company, the electric company, and then whatever's left for us, we just want to do something to make ourselves feel good. You know, a new pair of shoes, a, a purse, uh, you know, a, 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 an outfit, a car, something that's going to make us feel good now, right now. And it's something that's also going to make us maybe look like we're doing a little bit better than we are. And I was definitely uh, somebody that did that. And the passive income is the idea that you're going to put money over here and it's going to go to work for you, but you're not necessarily going to get that immediate gratification. You know, it's something that you have to set to the side and it's going to grow and it's going to build but the hard part for poor and middle class people to do that is what if it doesn't come back? What if it doesn't work? Mm. You know, what if what if that that investment that uh, what if the market crashes? 
What if I've set all this money to the side and and that doesn't work? And so you have to have a little bit of faith when going into the uh, passive income game um, that you are building something that's going to get you to that financial freedom, to that ability to not have to go, you know, punch a clock every day, um, you know, something that's going to work for you. Um, that's hard for people to really grasp that concept. It was hard for me to grasp that concept. It was hard for me to go in and get one of those properties and put a big chunk of down payment on it, you know, and, and, and know that 10, 15 years from now, I would benefit from this, yeah. you know, because I wanted immediate gratification. I want something that's going to give me, um, you know, a profit or some type of, of, gratification right now and so it's patience patience is the passive income game is is patience mm. one thing that reminds me of and your story you know demonstrates this so well as well you know this idea of being comfortable being uncomfortable can you talk can you yeah. speak that of how what that means to you and how that has influenced your life yeah um so Obviously, you know, I, I was used to go see my dad in prison every weekend. We would go visit him and, you know, we would we would uh, sit. We would they would have picnics like on the yard in a maximum security prison. And you're with other prisoners with their families. And like these are real killers and real gang members and and real, you know, drug dealers. And those are real guards on those towers with real rifles pointed down on you as you're like eating a meal with your father, you know, and those types of things just, they, they, I became comfortable with them. And I think that even like in business, you know, in the, in the, what I call in the streets or in the weed game that I was doing, um, in business, it's the same thing. There's people that will stab you in the back. There's people that will, you know, um, cut corners or steal from you. Or, you know, uh, there's just there's a lot of things that can happen in business. There's a lot of decisions that you have to make as a business owner um, that they put you in a really uncomfortable place. You know, they really I, I've, I just had to deal with a, a wage garnishment. <laughs> for one of my guys the other day. And that was really hard for me because I had never, I had never had to make those types of decisions. I'd always been on like the receiving end of that. I was always the guy that who's like, somebody was chasing down to like garnish his wages because of a bad decision, a financial decision I made. So I just found out that when I asked God for this, when I prayed to God for an overabundance of furniture, right? Now it's here. Now, you know, when they used to be where nobody wanted me anywhere, now I'm needed in a lot of places and scheduling and, you know, having to fire someone or having to have that talk with somebody about, um, you know, being on time and wearing their uniform and their attitude. You know, it I wasn't used to that. I was always a great employee. I knew how to be a great employee. I started a business and I put myself to work it put me into an uncomfortable space when I had to be the one to solve all those difficult problems, to make those decisions. When I clock out at five o'clock, I could just go home and 
all the rest of it just happened. And when I showed up in the morning, things were just in place, you know? Um, but now I don't get to do that. When I go home at, at five, six o'clock at night, my work has just begun. And I have to worry about not only my family, you know, the families and the the food on the tables of of the the five men, the six men that work for me, um, and and bills getting paid and and the business to continue to run. And um it 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 was uncomfortable for me. And I and it proved to me that those tough environments that I was in in a younger age really kind of prepped me for this. You know, it prepped me to be in these uncomfortable spaces to make these decisions that I wasn't comfortable making. Yeah. A perspective that I often share with my clients is that uncomfortable isn't bad. It's just uncomfortable. And often yeah. it's uncomfortable because we haven't done it before. It's like uncharted territory. And so the more uncomfortable or rather discomfort, the more discomfort that we're able to comfortably live with, because we know it's a part of the process. It's almost for anyone who could see me on video, I'm making like a, or audio rather you're listening. I'm making a circle with my hand. If this circle represents my comfort zone, everything in the circle, I know, and I know it well, anything outside of the circle is unknown. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. It's whatever it is. But every time I take one, two, three steps beyond the, the, the borders of this circle, the circle expands. And over time, that which was uncomfortable, unfamiliar, becomes comfortable and familiar. And you know that process because it's always been, that's been playing out in your life since you were a kid. Everything was uncomfortable, unfamiliar until it wasn't. And when you see where you want to go and where you want to end up and you see there's certain stepping stones that are necessary to get you there, there's certain ways you need to grow to become more so you can give more, then you see that this is just part of the process and you're comfortable being uncomfortable, knowing that it's going to lead to a lot more comfort <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I, I've learned um, just recently, actually, um, is about myself is that it's it's OK not to know everything. Yeah. You know, it's OK to say, you know what? I pay somebody to know that, or I consult with a professional before I make those types of decisions. And earlier in my life, I never really wanted to admit those things. I didn't want to admit that I didn't know how to do something. I always thought that I could, I could go figure it out on my own, you know? And, and now, you know, I, I was just at an event in Tampa, Florida called the invest tour. And we had a, it was a speaking engagement and there was a Q and a, at the end of the event and I'm on stage and a lady in the crowd asked me a question and it was about, it was about real estate and I didn't know the answer. And at first I, I felt stupid, you know, and I kind of had to like defer to um, another lady that was on the stage for the answer. And I, I, I really felt, I felt stupid to be on that stage here. These people were here, like they were going to learn something from me and they asked me a question and I didn't know. And it wasn't until the event was over, I'd flown home and I'm sitting on my couch and I'm really still spewing on the fact that I, I didn't know the answer to that question. And it dawned on me that that was the answer. The answer was, I didn't know. And it's okay to not know. And it's okay to defer to someone that does know when you don't know. <laughs> you know, some people just can't admit that they don't know. And it went as soon as I was able to understand that it was, it was life changing. 
Yeah, I, that's such a powerful lesson that everyone can internalize. And something that's coming up is a mentor, he shared with me this phrase. He said, you know, in the past, I was somebody that I can figure it out on my own. And so what yeah. this mentor shared with me is when someone says, I can figure it out on my own, he'll say to them, yes, you can. And that's the most expensive way to learn. You know, it's going to cost you a lot more than money to figure it out on your own. And when you think about the time and the energy and the hardship and the struggle and the whatever else you might experience along the way, when you could have just called somebody or hired somebody and they they already spent their life knowing this, because we all yeah. have our zone of genius. We all have our interests. We all have the thing that we want to commit ourselves to. And either you already have it or you're in the process of figuring it out. But either way, there's a reason why the people who are, let's yeah. say, talking about like a the poor and middle-class mindset, but wealthy people typically aren't the ones saying, I'm going to figure it out on my own. They're the ones surrounding themselves with the people who know more than they do. Yeah. Yeah. I had to build it. I had to build my own table, man. I, I feel like I spent a long part of my life trying to fit in, you know, trying to make room at other people's table. And, you know, I'd have to like drag my own chair up and kind of squeeze in there and convince everybody at the table I deserve to be there. And and I had to step back and say, Langston, why? Why are you doing this? Why not just build your own table and put the people around it that you want at your table? And, you know, put people at your table that can do things that you can't do. I never wanted to surround myself with people that were better than me, smarter than me. Right. I wanted to be up here. And so I, I and that's where the leaders and the followers. But I had to put other leaders at my table and I had to trust in my my banker. I had to trust in my my lawyers and my and my 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 insurance guys and my tax guys. I started my business and I wanted to do my own QuickBooks. I know nothing about QuickBooks. You know what I mean? I, I have a hard time logging into my Facebook if I forget my password. You know what I mean? So it's like QuickBooks and, and, and all that wasn't my thing. I had to go find a tax guy. I had to go pay somebody to do that. And when I did that, I was able to focus on what I'm good at. So whereas I would have spent hundreds of hours trying to figure this out, we can do this in three. Yeah. You know, and and where I can go then go do my gift and do what I'm good at, I can make enough money to pay him and then some instead of spending hundreds of hours of my own time trying to figure it out. And I'm not over there where I should be. That's so spot on. You know, you mentioned something that jogged my memory of I wanted to bring this up earlier. Whatever our gift is, that thing that we enjoy, it, it comes easy, whatever, however we define it. When we put it out there, when we offer it, you know, the way you shared your story, as I would share my gift, like what I needed for my own mission, for my own journey was given to me. It's like when you put yourself out there, life, the universe, God, whatever we call it, it responds. And so that to me yeah. is so, so powerful. It does respond. And sometimes it doesn't respond in the way that we want it to. You know, there were even after I came home and I made this this great decision that I was going to change my life and add value to the world with my gift. Everybody thinks that that was the day my life changed and it just became great. Like it kind of got harder from there. You know, um, when I came home, I was offered a job. I got, I got sent a letter in prison um, by a man who I had used to work for his father. And 
he sent me a letter and he offered me a job three weeks before I was walking out the door. And he, in, he enclosed an application and he told me if I wanted the job to fill the application out and send it back. And I was so excited when I got home. I had this letter. Uh, it had my job title. It had the, my my wages. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I was ready for my parole officer to come to the house so I could give it to him, you know. And I thought I was just so excited. And he really burst my bubble. You know, he read this letter and he said, Langston, I'm sorry, but you can't have this job. And I'm like, what do you mean? I, I start on Tuesday. I, I said, I said, I, I have a driver's license. You know, I, I drive trucks. This is what I do. And he said, well, you're going to have an ankle monitor on your leg and you're going to be moving around in a truck. And I can't have that. You, I, you have to be somewhere stationary and work and come home and you'll have a few minutes to get back and forth. So you'll have to find a different job. And I'm like, if ever there's a time to break a rule, like it's now there's guys in this world that you have to, you know, you have to knock them over the head and, and drag them to work and make them go in there and be productive. And then you have to do that every day. I start on Tuesday, you know, you didn't read the letter right. And he stood firm. And so I had to go back to the man and tell him, thank you, but no, thank you. And um, he said, well, hold on, Langston. Uh, you know, you've been home three days. You've had this thing on your legs. So. You only have 57 days left. Right. And he said, it's going to take me longer than 57 days to find somebody else to do what I know you can do. So let's change your job description. We'll call it warehouse production management or something. And uh, we'll keep you in the warehouse for 57 days. And when they cut that thing off your leg, we'll put you in your truck. Wow. And I was able to go back, you know, to my parole officer and tell him I still start on Tuesday, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And and so it, it, it just because I had made those decisions, it didn't mean that things just started to like steamroll and get better. There were still people that I felt were there to help me that were like creating more obstacles in my life. Mm. So many wonderful stories that you have and they're really inspiring. And I hope people realize that there are people like that gentleman who can help us on our journey. And if we show up and they can feel our desire in this case to work, you know, our willingness to just throw ourselves into the process and move things forward and make something of our life, they're willing to work with us. And it's like, so people can't help you if they don't know what you want. So it's like, are you letting people know what it is you're wanting to build and create and experience and have and do? Are you asking for support when you don't know, you know, things of that nature, all these kind of lessons are coming from these stories. One thing I wanted to share, this goes to something that you had said before about surrounding ourselves with people at our table, let's say that are experts in their own field. There's this story that I remember. So there's this couple, both business owners, and they did really well for themselves financially. And it was a Saturday and they were supposed to meet with a mentor of theirs, but they were late by like 30 minutes. And when they showed up, um, the guy said, hey, is everything okay? And they're like, yeah, sorry, we're late. We were doing the uh, the lawn. We spent like four hours this morning doing all the lawn. And the mentor said, oh, do you enjoy doing that? And they said, oh, no, like we hate it. And he goes, so why did you do it? And they said, well, because we wanted to save some money. And he goes, how much were you actually saving? Because hourly they were paid very well for the, the work that they did and he said well you love what you do right and they said yeah and he said well if you were to work 
two hours on a Saturday or one hour on a Saturday doing work that you love? Would you be open to that? And they're like, oh, of course. And he goes, so you could have paid someone one fiftieth of what you made in those two hours to do your lawn, but you chose to do that. And so you essentially paid like 50 times more than what you normally get paid an hour to do your own lawn when you hate that. <laughs> and so where are we stepping into this? I, I got to do it myself. I'm saving money. I'm saving whatever it is I think I'm saving. Maybe you are, but also question it. Are you actually costing yourself a lot more when someone else can do it? And from like a tax perspective, you know, right when I hired, right when I started my business, I hired a guy to do my taxes for me because I had met other people who didn't do that. And I saw what it cost them to not do that. And so I, I, I wanted to learn from their experience. And so here's my guy, awesome guy in Arizona, shout out, named Lee Jackson, if anyone knows him, but awesome guy. And he has saved me so much money, so much time, so much everything. And other people, if you try to do it on, if I tried to do it on my own, there's things that he's helped me with and money he saved me that I never would have saved. I never would have known to do that. And so it's like, where are we trying to be an expert in everything? which you're going to fail when you try to do that? Or where can you just try to be the expert at your thing and surround yourself with experts in their thing? And everyone, it's like the rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. And for me, that goes back to the poor and middle-class mindset. Um, that costs money. So yeah. I'm going to do it myself because I don't want to spend the money. I want to keep my money and and do it all by myself. And, yeah. and so I absolutely, um, I agree with what you just said. And um, going back to the, um, to the, to the comfortable being uncomfortable. I had a friend that, um, you know, when I, when I started, um, my, my, it kind of started as a side business. Um, the job that I took was with a party rental, uh, business. We, we set up tables and chairs and tents for big weddings and stuff like that. And the guy only paid me $13 an hour. And, you know, I'm, I'm fresh home from prison and, I know that I can't do much with $13 an hour, but I was so grateful to be home and to be free and to have this new mindset and for someone to have given me a second chance uh, or, or third or fourth chance at this point in my life um, that I told myself I was going to go into this man's establishment and I was going to add as much value to his business as I possibly could. And I was going to do that for $13 an hour. There was nobody in that building was going to add more value to that building um, than me. And I wasn't quite sure where that was going to lead to. But I just knew that I he, he deserved that for giving me that chance. And um, that same employer, uh, when COVID hit, the party rental business was obsolete. And so I had a friend who... Uh, flew here from Florida and she she put me in front of uh, like 60 realtors in a room and uh, at a meeting and she and I was to introduce myself and tell them about my business as a mover and how we could help their business and we could network. And if you talk about being uncomfortable, um, talk about not feeling worthy to be up there and what if what if they don't you know like me or what if they don't believe in what I'm saying and and, and she had to remind me at the last minute, she said, Langston, just go up there and be yourself. Tell them who you are. Tell them what you do. And I do believe that I'm the best at what I do. And so the rest of it just came really easy. And I went in front of those people and I told them what I do. I I was confident about it. Um, and And it was from that point on that I went from delivering single pieces of furniture to big, 
four or five bedroom houses. Now these people sell houses and they refer them to me to go move them. And um, when COVID kind of started to make the turn back to the norm, um, that was the day that I decided that I wasn't going back to work uh, for my boss, that I was going to, you know, step out into the world as a business owner. And, and I, it was a very scary point, you know, to not have a paycheck coming on Friday. Um, that's scary. You know, it takes a lot of belief and a lot of faith um, that that in yourself and in, in the people that you've surrounded yourself with, that this is going to work. And mm -hmm. I wasn't quite sure, but uh, we just kept our head down and, and we kept moving forward. Yeah, that story of that job, the $13 an hour one you talked about, something I want to acknowledge you for, and I hope everyone who's listening applies this to their life. So there's a quote I remember hearing, I think it was Les Brown, but the idea was until you are willing to do more than what you're paid for, you will never get paid more for what you do. And you approach that job, not from a space of, oh, it's just X amount of dollars per hour. You were showing up as I'm going to do like the best that I can do at this, if not more. And oftentimes we want a certain result. We talked about that cause and effect. We want the effect. We want the promotion. We want the raise. We want the whatever. But we want that to come first. And so we say like, well, I want you give me more money. That'll justify me giving more effort. But it doesn't go that way. I have to give more effort first, despite the external circumstances, in this case, the amount of money I'm being paid, not reflecting my effort. Because my effort's like 10 times more than what you're paying me. But then yes. from that space, the, the the employer, the boss, the whoever, they see that. And now you become that like linchpin in the organization. Like they don't want to lose you. They think, oh my God, like we got to reward this person because they're doing so well. And I don't know how long that's going to take. It could take short time, a long time. Regardless, when we come from that space, first and foremost, until I'm willing to do more than what I'm paid for, I will never get paid more for what I do. How can I raise the value of what I'm offering? So that everybody, I remember hearing Jordan Peterson talk about it, clinical psychologist, and he said something like, when you're a kid and you're on the playground, you want to be the kid that all the other kids want to play with. And the reason why they want to play with you is because they feel like when they play with you, they have fun and like they have a shot of winning. You don't want to be the kid that is like kind of the bully in the sense that you beat everybody. Nobody wants to play with you because it's not fun in their mind to lose, let's say. But if it's like a really great experience that you take that as you get older, you want to be the adult, let's say, that everybody wants to play with, do business with, be around, because there's, there's like a win-win. I feel good when I'm around you. You bring value to me. I can bring value back to you. And it goes both ways. And from that work situation, where can we take that ownership and that personal responsibility and dive into creating as much value as possible, regardless of what the external factors seem to look like. There's an expression, seeing is believing, but then there's the flip. Believing is seeing. Sometimes you got to believe it first internally. It's not even something I'd say always. You got to believe it first internally and then be it. And then from that state of being, actions emanate that you wouldn't have done otherwise. And then rewards come to you that you wouldn't have received if you weren't being that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I felt like if my name was on this job, on this project, 
then it had to be done to the best that it could be done. If it didn't matter if I was mopping a floor, if I was going to clean a toilet, if I was going to move a piece of furniture, like if, if my name is on this, it doesn't matter how much I'm getting paid. People hear minimum wage and they do minimum work. Mm, right. Yeah. And what, but what happens is when, when you become great at what you do, right. Day in and day out, my boss's phone would ring. And he would tell the people on the other end um, exactly what I was going to come do for them. Right. And then he would tell them exactly what he was going to charge them for my time. And then he would come to me with this clipboard and he would say, Langston, I want you to take this clipboard and these men and these trucks and this equipment. And I want you to go out here into this world. I want you to perform this job to the best of your ability. And then I want you to return it all back here to me with this check on this clipboard. And I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> I don't really feel like I need your phone to ring anymore for you to tell another man what I'm gonna come do for them. I have no problem telling people what I can come do for them and then going and doing it. I just need my phone to ring, Yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah, man, love that. Now, so the foundation of this podcast and the foundation of the work that I do with my clients is to help people create an extraordinary life without regret. If anyone was asking you, Langston, how do I create that kind of life? What would you share with them? I would say just find, don't dwell on the things in your life that aren't working. Hmm. Focus on the things that do work. Um, focus, don't focus on the things that you're not good at, focus on the things that you are good at and then capitalize on those things. Um, I think far too often we just, we dwell and we beat ourselves up on all the things that we've done wrong and all the things that didn't work. And we forget to just kind of sit back in the, and, and bask in the moment of the things that we did do right. Yeah. You know, in the things that did work for us and then use those things to propel us, you know, to the next level. I think there's so much wisdom and power in reflecting on how far we've come. You know, imagining, for example, just given your story, where you're at right now versus when you were in that prison cell and you were looking out and you were seeing the trucks and you were saying, you know, one day like that's, you know, and we look at that, that doesn't mean we don't have challenges right now. They're different challenges, but we look back and am I currently living the life that at some point I dreamed of? Or are certain aspects yeah. of my life right now, maybe not all of it, but are certain aspects of my life right now, what I dreamed of having at some point, one, five, 10 years ago. And almost always the answer is yes, in some capacity. And we re and when we realize if I'm in the trap that I'm always focused on the future and trying to like get somewhere else, if you're trying to get everywhere other than here, then you never experience like the magic that's available to you here right now. And so when we can just slow down, like you said, what did I do well? What was great about that? How did I handle that that I was proud of? Where did I where did I do a good job? Yeah, of course. Also ask how could I have done better and what could I learn and all those things and what will I do differently next time. But still pause and reflect. Yeah, I, I love this metaphor I use. It's like, or rather an analogy of an alphabet, A to Z. A is where I start, Z is my goal. If I'm at K, yeah, I'm not at Z, but I'm not at A anymore. 
And so if I met K, let's celebrate that. And let's look at all this massive yeah. progress from when I was at A to K and just think, wow. And just like yeah. I'm not at A anymore, there will be a point where I won't be at K anymore. And so Langston just dropped off, must have been a connection issue. So give us one sec and we'll get him back. All right, we are back. <laughs> it's always, it's always uh, good to get the spontaneity, the technical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so if our conversation today was your last opportunity to share your message with our listeners and with the world, what would you want to make sure people knew? What would you want to make sure that the lessons that you've learned in your life and your experiences that would really help somebody, what would be on your heart to share with them? Um, okay, so I read a quote by uh, Abraham Lincoln, and he said, the best way to predict the future is to create it, right? Mm. And I believe that goals are important. Dreams and goals are important. And the most important thing about a dream or a goal is to align your values with those goals, so many times I had these goals and these dreams and these aspirations, but I never aligned the values in my life, the things that I valued. I never aligned them with the goals. And so I was never able to achieve those goals. Um, so I would say set goals, create your own future, but align your values with your goals and make sure that if if it doesn't align with your goal, just like you would with a budget, right? Just like if you're trying to save money and then these things just don't go with your budget, use that with every aspect of your life. Use it with your finances, use it with your spirituality, relationships, partnerships, business. If this is the goal, these are my values. And if these values don't fit with this goal, remove them from your life. Yeah, I think that's perfect. You know, I've seen often with the work I do with clients that your values, if we were to define it as what's important to you, and if you've got goals and your values are not in alignment with those goals, you're going to sabotage it. It's not going to happen because you're at some point, it's not going to feel right. At some point, your life, you're going to feel like inauthentic. It's not going to feel like, um, like it's worth it to continue. So you want to make sure the values are in alignment. And when your values are clear, decisions are easy. It's easy to know what to do when you know what's important to you and where you're headed and why. A lot of things you've talked about. And so as we begin to wrap up, can you share with us what's the biggest decision you've made or maybe you might even see it as a risk that you've taken that you're deeply grateful that you did and why? Um, I would say it's definitely a risk because it puts me in a very vulnerable uh, state. Uh, but one of the, the best decisions that I think that I've made uh, just recently in my life is to go out into the world and share all of these things that I've been through, um, to stand in front of people and to feel worthy to stand in front of them and to and to just share my story. Um, it puts me in a very vulnerable state, but I understand that now, you know, talking about things that we've been through or talking about things that we we want to achieve around other people allows for those people to know and to open themselves up and to maybe have a way to help you with what you're doing uh i believe uh, i think it's steve harvey says it and it's in the bible but he always says uh you have not because you ask not right um, when you don't <laughs> when, when when you know you, you can't get to these things if if you don't 
um, open up and, and talk about these things. And so the, the, the greatest thing that I've done, I feel lately is to just open up about what I've been through and do that in front of complete strangers. It's easy to talk about these things in front of people that I know that already know my story, uh, people that are close to me, you know, to have these conversations, but to get on the internet, to get on a stage in front of 300 people and to talk about um, some of these things was was really hard for me to do. And I had to overcome that. And uh, I just had to to um, be OK being vulnerable in front of people that I didn't know. It's open doors for me. Absolutely. I want to just deeply thank you and acknowledge you because I know that our conversation will help so many people. What you've shared will inspire people, how you show up in the world, who you're being. And I know that it's not easy. And I know that when I have done my version of what you're talking about and been vulnerable and opened up and shared things that most people keep to themselves, I've had, especially in person, if it's at an event or with friends or whatever it is that I'm meeting for the first time, people will tell me that I was, I didn't expect that. And the way you opened up it gave me in a way like permission to open up and to share. And so when you said that mm -hmm. I pulled up a quote on my phone, this, I didn't expect to share this. And, but I think it, it's a great way to send us out because it really captures, I think what we're discussing. It's a Marion Williamson quote that some of our listeners may have heard. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And so with that in mind, thank you for showing up in such a way that unconsciously or consciously liberates everyone who's listened. It was Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So is there anything that you're working on or working towards now that's exciting you that you'd like to share? Um, yeah. So right now um, I have figured out how to um, buy real estate with zero money down. Um, and I, I, um, I've bought uh, a single family home for each one of my kids now. So each one of my children, um, I own a single family home in our hometown. Um, and so my next goal is to, purchase a vacation home, uh, in Florida. Uh, that's, that's my goal is to buy a vacation home outside of Illinois and, um, and be the, just the first one in my family to, you know, to, to figure these things out, but to also show my children, uh, how, how, this mindset works. You know, my son understands the value in solving problems for people. He's 12 years old and he knows what his credit score uh, can do for him. You know, I was, I, it was like three years ago when I found out. <laughs> and, 
Um, my goal now is I'm building a, a podcast studio of my own. I'm venturing into, uh, you know, being a speaker. I don't want to really, um, I don't really want to call myself a motivational speaker. Um, I just, I just want to, I don't know the category that I want it to, to be in. I, I want to motivate and inspire, but I, I just don't want to put that label on myself because I, I'm not looking for um, monetary gain from this. I'm just looking to help change some lives and uh, I'm going to buy some, some vacation rental uh, property in Florida and, and around the United States. And I'm going to continue to build my, my moving company and, uh, and I'm going to get on here and I'm going to tell the world and, and every guy that's out there like myself that's sitting on that 21st floor that's looking out that window wishing that they had a purpose to just hang in there and every day add as much value to every room, every time they walk out that door, add as much value to the world as they possibly can. And that's my mission and, and I'm going to continue it. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Something you said that's so inspiring. You said... In regards to in regards to your family, you said, you know, I'm the first to do what I'm doing. Yeah. And everyone who's listening has that exact same opportunity, regardless of what has been with your parents, your grandparents, uncles, whatever it is, up until this point, life's been a certain way. You get to decide, like you said, the Abraham Lincoln quote, the best way to was it create the future is to create it. <laughs> how, how does it go? Yeah, I believe it the, to, to predict the best way to yeah. predict future is to create it it's to create yeah. it and so you know here you are and your son's 12 and he knows all these things that you learned as an adult and that's what a beautiful gift that you give him and in that same way for everyone listening how can i be the first it doesn't matter what's happened before it ends with me and like now the new beginning so how can our listeners learn more about you connect with you if they'd like to do that um, so I am uh, on Facebook as Langston Pates. Uh, we do have a Facebook page called The Invest Tour, uh, which I, I recommend everybody go check out. Uh, some friends of mine and myself, uh, we are traveling the country and we're holding these events. Um, it's called The Overcome and Invest Tour. You can find it on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I do have an Instagram, uh, Langston Pates on Instagram. Um, if you get a chance, we're going to be uh, to a city near you. So check out the Invest Tour uh, uh, Facebook page. Uh, we do travel the country. We share great stories of, of men and women that have just overcome tremendous obstacles from prison terms to drug addiction to sexual abuse, divorce and broken homes. And um, it all relates back to, uh, you know, just entrepreneurship and investing in real estate. And we give we give people some inspiration. We also bring vendors, uh, lenders, CPAs, um, contractors, uh, credit repair people. We bring all of these resources to these events um, so that the people can network with them and, you know, maybe start their own invest uh, journey, no matter what level there's, there's people in different levels of their investment portfolios. And so it's awesome to just hear all the stories and, uh, and see how far, you know, the, the, the members of the group have come and I'm so excited and happy to be a part of it. Um, so if anybody can go check out the invest tour Facebook page, go check it out. Yeah. I'll definitely have the links to everything Langston mentioned in the show notes. And I think a great way to send us off can you show us what your shirt says? I noticed that earlier. So yeah. one, one year of focus and hustle can change your life forever. And I think that summarizes so much of what we discussed. And let's make, you know, this is being recorded at the end of January, 2023. 
let's let's make the next 12 months that year of hustle and change and let's create the results that we want you know um if this has resonated with people who are listening please share langston's message far and wide like share this podcast to check out the links that he's talked about leave reviews please whether this is on Apple Podcast or Spotify or where YouTube comment, wherever you're listening or watching this, it really means a lot. It helps the algorithm, helps more people see what it is that we're doing here on the show. And so Langston, is there anything you'd like to say before we close? Uh, yeah, I just want to tell um, everybody, uh, my motto is uh, make moves and not excuses, guys. Leave the excuses at home and uh, go out here and get busy. Mm, wonderful, wonderful. And so as we wrap up, I mentioned at the start, you know, my the purpose of everything I do is to help leaders, champions, and high performers to experience more happiness, peace, and fulfillment as they create an extraordinary life without regret. If there's anything that you're experiencing right now that you're going through it, you've got some challenges and problems, or you've got goals and dreams around your business, your mindset, your relationships, your spirituality, happiness, fulfillment, it's that full spectrum of the human experience. If you'd like some support, let's have a conversation. You can book it at jamilsayage.com. And if I can support, let's create some magic together. You can continue to listen to the podcast. We've got 30 plus episodes in the archive that you can check out and plenty more to come this year. And I've got about probably eight, 900 pieces of content over Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. You can look me up at Dr. Jamil Syage, DR, and then my name on, on uh, Instagram. And LinkedIn and Facebook is just my name, Jamil Syage. Thank you again so much, your time, your attention, your energy. It is so appreciated, Langston, as well as everyone who has tuned in and joined us. I don't take it lightly that you're here. I really appreciate it. I call the podcast Transformation Starts Today because I have found that most people's favorite day to change their life is tomorrow. And that's why they stay stuck. But you can be different. You can hear our conversation, hear all the gold nuggets that Langston shared and begin applying it to your life immediately. And like his shirt says, you can make the next year the greatest year of your life. I send you all so much love. Thank you for being with us and looking forward to the next conversation. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for being with us today. If this conversation served you, it would mean a lot if you left a review and shared this with anyone who may benefit. An extraordinary life without regret is available to you now. Choose it. It's your time.